Hello, good evening, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. Tonight, we are going to be discussing the esoteric meaning of the word faith and the practical, meaningful ways in which we actually develop faith, true faith. There are many different ideas and beliefs regarding the word faith, and there are countless, countless expressions, so-called expressions of faith. And we're going to be looking at some of those, but more importantly, we're going to be looking at faith as not just the means to an end, but an end itself, which is, in fact, the beginning. And that might sound contradictory or paradoxical, but as we progress through this evening's discussion, you will begin to see how and why we titled this discussion, The Path to True Faith. In most instances, individuals will think of faith as the path. That is certainly how most religions frame themselves. That faith is the way. But in practical esotericism, and certainly in Gnosticism, it is the reverse. Faith is the goal. Faith is the destination. And that destination is not an end. It's simply a, a new beginning. So in practical esotericism and genuine mysticism, faith is something we develop. And the development of faith leads to the next stage, the next level of our journey, the next level of being, the next series of challenges and tasks on the path. But faith is a necessary first step. So what do we mean by faith? Generally speaking, if we were to ask you what, what, what faith means to you or what faith means to most people, what would you say? You can comment. You can comment, of course, in the comments. Or, again, as we intimated in the description for tonight's live stream. If you disagree with this, then perhaps you can comment. For most people, they equate faith with belief. Meaning to have faith in someone, to have faith in God, to have faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is a question of belief. Do you believe his teachings? Do you believe 
what this church or that church or this pastor or that evangelist says. Benjamin says, a general idea of what faith is or not, even that on a collective level. To have faith in someone or something. Is a little bit more than just belief. The word faith has the connotation of trust. So to have faith that your car is going to start tomorrow morning when you get in it to go to work, you put your trust in that particular vehicle that it's going to operate as intended, as designed, as built. But your faith, your belief that it is going to do so comes from where? Where does that trust come from? This is what we often don't consider or don't meditate on. What is the source of our faith? If we have faith that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and Jesus is going to forgive all our sins, and through the sacrifice of Jesus's life, he's going to raise us up from the dead and take us into the afterlife. What is the basis for that trust, for trusting that that will be the case? Versus the faith that you put in something as mundane as your automobile. Or your automobile's brakes. You trust that when you press the brake pedal, your automobile is going to bring you to a halt. Or the faith that you put in your seatbelt. When you put on your seatbelt in that automobile. You trust, you have faith that that seatbelt is going to make a difference in the case of an accident. How are those two expressions of faith different? One is seemingly very mundane, but inarguably practical. The faith in your automobile, the vehicle which is going to get you to work, and the safety features of that vehicle, which are going to, A, prevent you from getting into an accident in the case of the brakes, and B, protect you in the case that, in case that you do get into an accident. Your faith in those safety features is very important. You trust and they are, in many ways, 
a matter of life and death. But where does the faith come from? Where does the trust come from? Wherein does the trust lay inside of you? Whereas the trust or the faith that you put in Jesus Christ, that he's going to save you or Muhammad or Allah or whoever deity that you might believe in, and you trust in what the scriptures say and what the priests say, what you were taught, how you were raised, those belief systems. Wherein does the trust lie in, in, inside of you? And how is it that you're able to question one? And if you question the other, if you question whether or not your brakes work in the car or whether or not the seatbelt is going to work, the first thing you do is you take it to the dealership or you take it to a, a mechanic to take a look at the brakes or to take a look at the seatbelts. In other words, you don't leave it to chance. You don't leave it to your beliefs. You don't leave it to some idea or concept or, well, it might be like this or might be like that. It's a very mundane, mechanical, materialist thing, is it not? Brakes in a car or seatbelts in a car. Yet, they are matters of life and death. As mundane as a belief, as, that, as mundane as a faith, as that may be. But that faith, that trust, is grounded and is rooted in reality, in your experience, perhaps at some point you were in a vehicle, perhaps as a young child, before mandatory seatbelts uh, and mandatory seatbelt laws came into being, or they only had lap belts in the back. Or perhaps you were on a school bus at one point and the school bus driver slammed on the brakes and you went flying. In other words, what Andrew suggests here, faith, the culmination of experience. You have faith in that seatbelt stopping you, not least because we have all seen countless crash tests in slow motion with dummies flying through windshields when they don't have seatbelts on. And again, you know that when you're driving a car, even if you haven't been in an accident, you know that if you slam on the brakes, those seatbelts hold you back from slamming your head into the, into the steering wheel, into the windshield. 
you have the experiential knowledge that is self-evident. You have enough experience of physics, of forward momentum, of sudden stopping, and so on. You know what would happen if your brakes fail. You know that as objective fact, it's reality. And that you've been using your vehicle for how many days or weeks or years now, and your brakes have never failed you. You have a good, solid reason. You have good, solid experience for putting your faith and trust in those brakes that have been faithful and loyal to you all this time. Your knowledge, your interaction, your experience with your use of those brakes, that seatbelt, is intimate. It's direct. It's personal. The same cannot be said for information that you read from a book about such and such a deity that's out there somewhere or who lived 2,000 years ago that's going to somehow give you salvation. That's merely a belief. That, it is, a, that is an adopted belief that is based on nothing. It is based merely on hearsay. It's essentially gossip or dogma or whatever you want to call it. We have often said these words and we'll say them again. When we are on the path, when we are on the path, we must be infinitely practical. The path to true faith is no different than the path which led us to having faith in the brakes in our car and the seatbelt in our vehicle. It is our direct experience and our intimate experience with these phenomena and how they serve us and how we interact with them and how they save our lives, literally. That is the level of faith. That is the level of knowledge. And that is the level of practical interaction between ourself and our higher self, which creates true faith, true spiritual or religious faith. We have made a meme 
about true faith. And in that meme, we describe how the true meaning of the word faith persists in the English language in the expression to be faithful to one's spouse, to be faithful to one's mortal beloved, one's mortal beloved, one's partner, one's spouse. To be faithful means to know them intimately, to the exclusion of all others. To be unfaithful to your spouse, of course, means to cheat on them, to know someone else intimately. So to be faithful means to know your mortal beloved, to achieve union, intimate, sacred union with your mortal beloved. That's what it means to be faithful. Nothing short of that can be said as faithful, can make you a faithful husband or a faithful wife than to remain exclusively intimately united with your mortal beloved. The same thing applies then, that same definition. To be faithful to our higher self is to achieve union intimate sacred union with our immortal beloved that's what it means to be faithful spiritually and it is that union that binding together with the divine to bind together that's what the words relegare in Latin and yuga in Sanskrit mean, they are the root words of religion and yoga. To bind together as the ties that bind, or to be bound together in holy matrimony. And we'll get we will get into detail the relationship between union between man and woman, and the union between yourself and your mortal beloved, and how that directly relates to achieving union with your immortal beloved, your higher self. And those two things are intimately related, as above, so below, as within, so without. And each serves the other. And as we experience that, we develop true faith. Self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek on the path. Gnosis, 
gnosis is faith. The two words are synonymous. In medieval times and in the past, when you went to a courtroom, the judge would instruct a witness to give faith to the court. To be able to give faith is to be able to testify. And who testifies in court? A witness. A witness testifies. One who, one who can bear witness and give their testimony. They can give faith because they have faith. They have faith because they have witnessed, they have experienced. And the faith that they give, that is called a testimony. And if it is written down, and it is immortalized in words, we call that a testament. As in the Old Testament, and the New Testament of the Bibles. At no point in any court of law is anyone interested in your beliefs. Not the judge, not the jury, not the prosecution, not the defense. Nobody cares what your opinion is. Nobody cares what you believe because it doesn't matter to the facts of the case. A court is interested in evidence. A court is interested, theoretically at least, in justice and serving justice. And so too, metaphysically, esoterically, are we in service of the great law? And the great law doesn't care about your beliefs. Your beliefs don't matter. They make no difference. In a universe that's governed by cause and effect, what matters are the facts and our experience to bear, to bear witness, to be able to testify, to be able to give faith and to be faithful to our innermost, to our higher self. And then, once we have achieved that, even on a small scale, small level, and have made a commitment to be faithful, now a whole new world opens up for us 
whole new path, a path of destiny, a path of purpose, a path of meaning opens up before us. And the challenge set forth before us on that path is to remain faithful to the one who is walking it. Because the path is not our path. The path is our higher self's path, our true self's path. And it is our choice, it is our decision, it is our free will to walk that path in faith. In other words, to faithfully serve the one who is walking that path as a vessel, as a vehicle, as a messenger, as a servant, to serve faithfully our innermost being as a squire serves a knight, as a sidekick serves a hero, or as a familiar serves a hero, as a sheepdog serves the shepherd. As Hanuman serves Rama, on their quest to free Krishna, the Christ. Because that is the other connotation of faith, which conventional ideology and conventional beliefs and conventional definitions about faith miss To have faith is not only to trust, but there's, there's a flip side, and that is to be faithful. In other words, so that our innermost can put their trust in us. It works both ways, as all relationships do. Loyalty, fealty, commitment, dedication. Recently, we've been talking about conviction. You see how the word faith relates to testimony and evidence and to be able to give faith, to bear witness, and all of these terms that hover around this idea of courtrooms and justice, so too we explained how the word conviction ends up in a court of law, one who is convicted, one who has passed sentence upon them on the basis of the evidence, on the basis of testimony, on basis of the facts. All have given their faith, and out of that 
collective faith is born this conviction. And the statement of that conviction becomes our testimony, our testament. And out of the word conviction is born the word covenant. If you combine testament and conviction, it's very easy out of the two to be born of that, the covenant. And a covenant is that bargain, that promise, the agreement between man and God. But practically speaking, it is the arrangement, the practical, meaningful arrangement between ourselves and ourselves, between us as messenger, servant, and vessel, and our higher self, our innermost being, the hero, our our guru, our master, our Lord, and our Divine Mother. To have faith is to be bound to such a covenant and to be faithful to that covenant as one is faithful to one's spouse in marriage. That's why the ceremonies around marriage, no matter where you go in the world, no matter what religion or, or spiritual tradition or cultural tradition, the practice of making vows and making a promise to your mortal beloved, who you will spend the rest of your life with, That is a universal phenomena, without exception. Even in modern times, even if couples get to write their own vows, it doesn't matter. They're making vows to one another. They're making a pledge. They're taking, they are establishing a covenant with one another before some God or the universe is before some authority. They are doing this. This is an absolute universal aspect of that transcends all time and space and history and culture and creed and race and you name it. So much so that even homosexuals fought tooth and nail all the way to the Supreme Court in, in every country they were in for the right to be married, for the right to make these covenants with their mortal beloved. As if they couldn't make these covenants on their own. No, there is something about making these covenants before an authority to make it official. There's, there's something profound about pledging ourselves to
to another mortal, our, our mortal beloved, and pledging ourselves to be one with them, to make a life together for the rest of our days. Now, if it's so important for individuals to make these vows, if this is such a universal phenomena, and it is such a sacred phenomena, and it is a legally recognized phenomena all over, all over the world, How is it that we do not take as seriously and treat as importantly the covenant that we have with our immortal beloved? Which is our true self. Who is with us till the end of our days. Or to put it another way, we are with them until the end of our days. They've been with us since the beginning of our days, but it's that moment when we awaken to that and make the realization that this journey that we're on is their journey. It's my innermost journey. So unlike in modern times where couples make vows that are on equal footing, if we go back perhaps as recently as a hundred years ago when men and women exchanged vows, wedding vows, included in those vows, the woman would say to love and to cherish and to obey her husband. The husband didn't have to, the husband vows included to love and to cherish but the, the husband didn't have to say to obey. Only the woman had to say that. Whether or not that was right is not the point for us practically in this moment. The question is when we make our vows to our innermost immortal beloved, do we vow to obey? And do we think that is right? Or do we think it's wrong? Do we self-righteously say, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to commit to obey to my higher self. I'm not going to obey my divine mother. I'm not going to obey my, my innermost. I want to do what I want. I'm going to manifest my desires. I'm going to be I'm going to have my as many polyamorous sexual relationships that I want. I'm here to experience, damn it. And I'm going to experience as many pleasures as I can. 
the reason why all religions have focused on sexuality and have focused on marriage and why marriage is such a sacred institution is because marriage that covenant between man and woman is the closest thing we have at this level of reality that correctly allegorizes the level of commitment and the dedication, the conviction that is true faith. To be faithful to your spouse is the closest thing that we have the closest model that we have to being faithful to God, our innermost God. Everything else is a second-rate, shadowy facsimile. The Catholic Church and other religions try hard in having their acolytes and their initiates become married to God. So a priest becomes married to God and married to the church. And we are sorry to say that in our time, in our, in our life, we, we encountered missionaries from Gnostic institutions and we eventually we became romantically involved with a member of a gnostic institution and she was a gnostic missionary and we eventually went our separate ways and the reason was in her own words, she said, you have shown me a kind of gnosis that I never imagined could exist. But I am married to my Gnostic organization. And where you're going, I cannot follow. So when we speak of true faith, we shouldn't be naive. We should recognize that the false faith of the world, the faith of the mind, the faith of belief, the faith of dogmatism, 
that attachment and identification that organizations, religious organizations, political organizations, corporate entities, non-for-profit entities, you will notice that all sorts of groups try to leverage the relationship and the mutual affinity and the mutual benefit of a relationship and they will try to weave around it a covenant and oftentimes that covenant expresses itself in a very cult-like cultish manner you will observe many followers of cults become enamored and identified with charismatic leaders for example and they become hypnotized and fascinated and obsessed with following this or that guru or this or that revolutionary or however that cult leader is making themselves out to be but they are fulfilling a need they are recognizing the void the 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 missing element inside of their followers and they are putting themselves forth as a bomb as a drug as some sort of way to plug the hole in their heart and it becomes what contemporary psychologists would call a codependency a codependent relationship because of course the cult leader has a hole in his own heart which can only be filled by consuming the adoration of obsessed followers and the hole in the cult leader's heart demands a constant consumption of that obsessive energy and in many cases also sexual energy you'll find many cult leaders take advantage of their followers and it becomes a dark not just covenant but a coven because those words are related as well so there are many many ways in which this trust and these relationships are twisted and corrupted by the black lodge but to be faithful is to know intimately 
and to achieve intimate sacred union with your immortal beloved at the exclusion of all others at the exclusion of all others just as if to be faithful to your spouse means to have sacred union with your mortal beloved at the exclusion of all others that's why the nuclear family is the foundation of all civilization because as soon as a man and a woman or a woman puts something above their marriage and their family and their household everything falls apart the covenant between man and woman the covenant between masculine and feminine is the link in the chain without that bond without that link there is no there is no foundation and that's fine for worldly civilization but what of the supernal worlds we know that strong civilizations can can be built on a strong bond the strong bond of the nuclear family but have we really experienced what might be if that bond is a reflection here in the world of an equally strong bond between individuals and their immortal beloved just imagine a civilization that is based on awakened enlightened human beings true human beings imagine what that might look like but to be faithful to have that level of faith true faith we have to be faithful and in union loyal trust and trustworthy to our innermost at the exclusion of all others so who are these all others well they are all of the obviously we can look to the surface level and superficially we can look to all of the societal beliefs conventions traditions um, fashions trends pressures we can look to what the majority is doing what the majority says we should be doing we can look to what our family says we should be doing what our friends think we should be doing And that's 
all true, all correct. Certainly nowadays, especially with this consistent pressure from mainstream media and certainly governments and other authorities to take certain medical precautions and take certain medical actions and um, inject ourselves with various concoctions that supposedly will prevent us from becoming infected by the so-called plague, which is supposedly ravishing humanity. So there are such practical implications of faith. Do you put your faith and trust in your innermost and your inner knowing? Or do you put your, or do you follow the science, right? And put your faith and trust in individuals like Dr. Fauci and individuals like Bill Gates, for example, or individuals like Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden. We cannot have true faith if we stray from the path that has been set before us. We cannot, be, we cannot have true faith. It cannot be said that we are faithful to ourselves and our Divine Mother if we take a path which has been chosen by someone else. Just as we cannot be faithful to our spouse if we go and be with someone else. That's the definition of faith and being faithful. And our innermost will lose trust in us And, as you may be able to attest to in your own life, but certainly you can attest to by obser observing others, the observation of others' lives, when they have gone down paths that were clearly erroneous and clearly not what was best for them, and when things turned out badly, the first thing they did is turned around and began cursing God. Damn you, how could you let this happen to me? That's like, that's like the cheater who returns home to his spouse and blames, blames their spouse for the terrible syphilis that they contracted when they were out cheating and they returned home how could you have let me cheat how could you have let me gone and done that now look look where i am it is it is it is laughable it is absurd and yet it happens each and every moment of each and every day all over the world, there are literally millions of people 
right now in this moment, cursing God, cursing the fates, cursing the universe, or just cursing their bad luck. They are all unfaithful. And they have the gall to then curse the very being that they have been unfaithful to. So now we get to the core of the problem. What do you suppose it is that has that kind of gall, that has that kind of nerve to behave that way? To be faithful to our innermost being at the exclusion of all others. The all others who must be excluded are our own egos. Our own egos which constitute the false self. Our own egos, lust, fear, greed, anger, envy, pride, gluttony, laziness, these entities within us which conjure up all manner of desire, all manner of cravings and aversions, all manner of diversions and distractions, all manner of identifications and attachments, all manner of fantasies and opinions and beliefs, and all manner of rationalizations and irrationalities. All of these things, all of them, are like two-bit whores on the sidewalk outside of the whorehouse. Tempting, beckoning us inside to, 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 to get off the path of faithfulness to our immortal beloved and, and come down this alleyway, come into this dark tavern, step into the casino, step into the boudoir, We walk through life as though we were walking through the red light district or the strip in Las Vegas. Because everywhere we turn, our, e our egos are being triggered. And temptation is everywhere. 
and the voices in our head saying, oh, come on, go ahead. You can do this. Or, you've earned this or you've earned that or go ahead and do this. Or, oh, no, that can wait. And you don't have to do this. And no, you, you're here to experience and you're here to have a good time. And you're here to just on and on and on and on and on. Or I have to have you know money to survive. I have to have a nice place. I'm not going to be, I don't want to be living out on the street and I got to do this and I got to do that. And so I've got to take care of this and I've got to take care of that. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. Meanwhile, to be faithful means to be faithful. To be faithful to your immortal beloved at the exclusion of all others. All, all those other considerations, all those, all those other rationalizations... Now, having said that, we've said that we have to be practical. Well, to be practical, you, you, you need a roof over your head. You need food in your belly. You need clothes on your back. So there are other considerations. But our innermost and our divine mother is not are not stupid they are not naive they do not live outside in some sort of strange fantasy universe where they are ignorant of the practical needs that each and every one of us have But the point here is need, need, not want, but need. And therein lies a very subtle, very nuanced way that we can become unfaithful. We can lose our faith and we can become distracted and we can rationalize walking down a different path than the path which leads to true faith so if true faith is this connection this knowing and this bond this covenant and this self-evident experiential knowledge of our immortal beloved and union with our immortal beloved. How do we achieve it? How do we get there? Someone recently asked us, asked us this question. Well, how do you know? How do you, how do you know? How can you make that leap of faith? How do you know that, that what's coming to you and, how do you know it's going to work out? And how how do you like how do you overcome your 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 resistance to that? Or how do you even receive it to begin with? 
we return, as we always do, to that, what shall we say, mantra, slogan, proclamation, those immortal words etched over the Oracle of Delphi in ancient Greece and on the Temple of Luxor, and in one way, shape, or form expressed in every mystery school and every great religion and authentic spiritual tradition. Know thyself. Observe. You have to observe. We all have experienced intuition. On some level, we've all experienced that knowing, that inner knowing, or we just, we just knew something. And when we are in observation of ourselves and we're remembering our Divine Mother, and we experience serendipity in our life, those events where we just, we just know this isn't a coincidence. We just know it. This series of events or this event that happened, it was meant to be and it was made to happen for us, for our sake. We just know it. And we've all experienced that. That's the beginning. Those moments are the key. Every time we have an experience like that, that is another building block. It's another cobblestone on the path to true faith because it is knowledge now. We have borne witness to the Logos, the hand of God, our Divine Mother intervening in our life on our behalf. When we feel the hand of God, the touch of the Divine in our heart, in our soul. Or we receive that subtle, still soft voice guiding us in the moment. We, we, have, we are a witness now. We are a witness to the divine here and now in the moment. That's precious. That's faith. That's the stuff of faith. That's why we have to constantly observe ourselves and constantly remain in remembrance of our Divine Mother, the remembrance of our higher self. It's like, it's like a husband or a wife going through their life, going through their day in remembrance of their beloved one so that when they are tempted by another, they think to themselves, they think to their, belo their mortal beloved, 
and they remember their covenant, they remember their vows, they remember the love and the bond that they have with their mortal beloved, and now the temptation melts away. This is the beginning of, of faith. And the more we practice this, and the more we retrospect on such events in meditation, the more we increase the bandwidth between ourselves and our immortal beloved. And the same thing is true for when we have the challenges and the crises and the obstacles and the suffering. There too, because there, in those events, are our, op our opportunities to grow. In those events, we see and bear witness to the false self, the egos being drawn up from our subconscious to the surface. We feel anger and we feel frustration we feel envy we feel fear or lust or any number of emotions any number of egos being drawn up to the surface due to circumstances the people around us that are triggering us it's our opportunity to observe them to observe these adversaries and while we are observing them to remain centered and focused and observing ourselves and in remembrance of our divine mother that this too is part of the path part of the journey and we know what does not kill us makes us stronger this whatever it is that's taking place around us is just the psychological gymnasium in which we can develop our self-evident experiential knowledge of ourselves, our darkness, our egos, the adversary, but also our higher self, our true self. And we can witness how this path and these obstacles and these challenges and these ordeals and these tests that we face, how they have been orchestrated for us. It becomes a different kind of serendipity. But it, once you begin to recognize it as serendipity, it's just not the rainbows and unicorns serendipity, but the feel-good, beautiful, oh, I was touched by the hand of God and everything's fantastic and beautiful. And I mean, those kinds of serendipities exist and they're important. But the path, the hero's journey, is not an easy one. And in order to overcome the adversary, we have to face, we have to face them. We have to face the conflicts, the tests, and the trials. And we need to exercise in order to exorcise that which is the cause of our suffering. So this too is part of that notion of being faithful.
that's why when we look to wedding vows wedding vows always have this duality to them in sickness and in health for richer for poorer in good times and in bad times marriage as anyone knows is not some rainbows and unicorns journey marriage is not just this positivity positive thinking experience marriage is tough marriage is hard because life is tough life is hard and life is hard enough going through alone by yourself how much harder is it when you have to now negotiate those rapids with another individual and all of the baggage that they bring along with them it's not easy or to use a different analogy it's hard enough to be a tightrope walker and balancing just on your own now imagine carrying someone on your back or riding a bicycle in tandem across that tightrope requires a great deal of faith in the other person true faith the knowledge that no matter what happens you have each other's backs like your divine mother has your back no matter what happens so when people say that expression everything happens for a reason again they say that because those individuals one way or another know and have faith that not only did things work out for the best but they needed to work out the way they worked out for some reason even if they don't know what that reason is but we have all these little expressions and clichés hindsight is 2020 for example so that's the beginning of faith and we all have access to these moments all the time there's no particular there's no particular secret it's simply a matter of observing yourself paying attention and remembering the significance and the importance of the events that are taking place and the individuals in your life moment to moment We said at the outset that faith then the path to faith is is a destination but it's also a new beginning 
for some. Certainly in our case. They're not prepared to make that covenant, to make that commitment, to make those vows until they reach the end of their rope. So again, to use the marriage analogy, you may have heard this. You may have heard individuals express it this way or in a similar way where they're, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to enjoy being a bachelor while I'm young. And I'm going to have my fun and I'm going to, you know, date lots of different people and travel and have a good time. And then in my mid, mid thirties, you know, I'll find someone and I'll settle down. And a lot of people, a lot of young people have that attitude. And some of them, in fact, a lot of them, find themselves alone in their 30s and 40s and beyond because they left it a little bit too long. And they discovered that they've become a little bit too old and a little bit too worn, a little bit too used, and they're not as desirable as they thought they once were. And it turns out that the people who perhaps were really deserving and worthy to settle down with, they've already found somebody else, someone who wasn't worried about having fun and having a good time and that they'll, they'll worry about and think about settling down with someone later. That's just on a practical level. And many of those individuals you see, they become quite desperate because now they're alone and they realize that they've they're running out of time they feel as though they've run out of time they're running out of time right that they're they're at the end of their rope and then their tastes change their priorities change but for them it might be perhaps a little bit too late Similar, a similar phenomenon takes place with us in relation to our innermost, where many of us explore life and our purpose and our search for meaning down many different avenues and many different paths. Many of those paths end up in dead ends. Many of those paths end up in unsatisfactory outcomes. And we exhaust all of our worldly abilities, capabilities, connections, contacts, resources, and 
we end up at the end of our rope, at our wit's end. We've exhausted all our faculties, all our knowledge, all our ability, all the experts, all the resources available to us, all the worldly knowledge available to us, and we just can't solve this problem or find the answers or get over this medical situ uh, situation or whatever the case may be. The answer eludes us no matter where we turn, no matter what we hear, no matter what we read, no matter where we go, it's just not speaking to us. It's just not, we just know it's just not right. There's something missing. And it's usually around that time when we have this sort of existential crisis, this crisis of faith. This is a crisis of faith because we don't know. We don't know. We can't put our faith and trust in anyone or anything anymore. So we have this crisis of faith. And it's usually in some form of crisis like that, that we finally turn to God. We finally turn within. It's not necessary that we get to that point. And for many people, they never get to that point. Because for many people, they remain trapped in belief and they keep doubling down on beliefs and they keep doubling down on what somebody else said what they read, what this article said, what this new technology is, what the latest treatment program is, what, and they keep doubling down, doubling down, doubling down on themselves. And they keep putting their faith and trust in their own cleverness or their own resourcefulness or their own determination. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to get through this. I, 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 I. And they never, even though they're in that crisis, or they go from one crisis to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. Even if they end up with all the worldly possessions in the world, all the money, all the resources, all the everything, but they're going to keep going from jumping from one crisis to another, to another, to another, but they keep doubling down on themselves. I got this far, didn't I? I'm going to overcome this thing too. And one hurdle after another, after another, after another, after another. And they keep putting their faith and trust in themselves and their own cleverness. And they never get to the point where they've reached the end of their rope. Benjamin says, what we're talking about reminded him of uh, Superman when he falls in love with Lois and he loses his powers um, and he begs his father for one more chance. What shall benefit a man if he gains the whole world? 
but loses his own soul. Well said. And <laughs> we know that's a, a quote, but well-chosen well quote for the moment. Happy are those who are brought to the brink the brink of disaster. Happy are those who are brought to the very edge of their own existence. And in that moment, they turn within themselves. Something holds them back from the brink. And in that moment of crisis, they seize that opportunity, that, that helping hand fr from within, and they, they grab it. And that hand pulls them back from the edge, from the brink of oblivion, back into the embrace of the Divine Mother. And in that moment, they find the source of their strength, the source of their knowledge, genuine knowledge, the source of their love, their courage, and all good things they have ever done in the world. They recognize and they realize that all that made them worthy all that makes us special, all that makes us divine, flows through us into the world. And it's in those moments of crisis when we are brought to the brink and we are at the end of our rope and we can't go on and we can't solve it we can't figure it out. We can't get out of the pit. We can't get out of the, you know, we're at our wits end. That's when we realize not that we raise our fist up and curse God and curse the universe and curse the fates and say, how could you do this to me? No. We say, I'm not qualified. We pray for help. We pray for guidance. And we surrender
and the wisest of us. Make a covenant. Make our vows to love, to honor, and obey our Father in heaven. To love, to honor, to obey, to cherish our Divine Mother. Till death do us part for all the days of our life. Happy are those who were brought to the brink. Because we go back to the film that we discussed last week of Hacksaw Ridge and the moment when young Desmond Doss was pointing the gun at his father's head, demanding that he never touch his mother again, never abuse his mother again. And, and, and he was, he was, he was one split second away from blowing his father's head off and becoming a murderer. But in that moment, he found within himself the strength, the peace, the moderation to put down the gun, to be an agent of mercy, to be an agent of compassion not one of anger and rage and vengeance. And in that moment, that's the moment that Desmond Doss made his promise to God. That he would never touch a gun again. And the rest of the story unfolded from there, such that when he was out on the ridge, he says, I want to do your will, but I can't hear you. So talk to me, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then that's when he heard the voice of God crying out to him through the mist. And the whole time he was up on that ridge, he's saying, God, just help me get one more. Just help me get one more. Just help me get one more. And the, and the, the, the whole of his life and the greatest heroic deed that he was to accomplish in that, in that war can all be traced back to that moment. That, that, that critical moment when he was brought to the brink, when he was brought to the edge. And through mercy and compassion, he spared his father and he was spared the consequences. But because he had already killed his father in his heart, he didn't spare himself the conviction and the sentence that he laid upon himself, the conviction that I now pledge my life to God. 
because I'm a convicted murderer, so I give myself a life sentence. The fact that I didn't pull the trigger is irrelevant because I pulled the trigger in my heart. So this is, these types of experiences lead to a kind of faith and a faithfulness where we put our faith and trust in our innermost being to carry us through any crisis. And this is where we find the real courage to face the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and to take up all manner of challenge and embark on the greatest of heroic journeys. It's the acquisition of true faith and the establishment of that bond, that covenant, those vows that we make to our higher self. And we pledge to live our life by those vows. This is true faith. And even though the Catholic Church and many other religions have these sorts of uh, initiations and, um, well, obviously, this doesn't apply to baptism because the bap in baptism you're still just a baby. But in the Catholic Church, they have First Communion and then they have Confirmation. And in Confirmation, when you're an adolescent, they they make you they they make you essentially pledge yourself to the church to confirm your commitment to the Catholic Church. We never agreed to confirmation. We we were not we were not going to bind ourselves to that worldly institution, that corrupt degenerated worldly institution at that we had made a vow and a pledge already at that point but that was that was personal and we did not need to be trudged out in public to be making commitments and vows to any church or any pope and having said that it would take decades later before we had our crisis of faith that called into question the validity of our the validity of our agency as an individual and the recognition that i'm not qualified i'm not qualified The Atlas Project is too big. It's too far-reaching. It's too important. And it was a personal crisis of faith and a personal health crisis and a personal crisis of, of a metaphysical, spiritual nature that 
we were at our wits end and we could not go any further. And it wasn't until we prayed and that wasn't until we begged our innermost being to help us and guide us and show us the way. And he did. And we followed it. And sure enough, we came out the other side. And it was from that moment on that we pledged ourselves to be the servant, the vessel and the messenger and the voice of Atlas. And we've been doing so ever since. And the only reason why we can do what we do today is because of we made that pledge, we made that vow to love, honor, and obey and surrender. So now that path is laid out before us and it's a difficult path. There's no question. But it's the path that we were born for. It's the path that we that, that gives meaning and purpose to our very existence. And no amount of anything else could substitute or could, how should we put it? It's not a path of material wealth or worldly success. Certainly not not up to this point. Whether that's in the cards in the future, it's it's uh, who knows. So someone in the chat earlier mentioned um, something about not knowing that faith is is also includes not knowing knowing but not knowing trust without knowing because none of us know necessarily exactly how our path is going to unfold but we trust knowing that it's going to uh, unfold as it needs to so long as we pay attention and we do our part and sometimes and this is a diff- this is difficult but sometimes that includes doing nothing that's why they say patience is a virtue because lots of times on our path we have to just wait we have to wait for the right time for the right moment for the right people and the right circumstances to come together in order to act, in order so that everything comes together and synergizes and that great synchronicity that we were waiting for comes together. So faith can be a very lonely, very boring, very mundane type of experience. The path to faith and the path of true faith to be faithful isn't always whiz-bang psychedelic experiences and spiritual experiences and all this like incredible th- no it's 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 not like that it's mundane it's like going to work every day and pressing the brakes and making the brakes making sure the brakes work in the car and and putting on your seatbelt these are not exciting activities 
but they are true faith. They are experiential in nature. And each and every moment, each and every day, we can find one breadcrumb that affirms our faith. So one of the great um, uh, deteriorations or degenerations or twisted versions of faith uh, in the New Age are uh, the concept of affirmations, where the New Agers will kind of mantralize or chant to themselves or pray to themselves, I am unlimited abundance. I am... Um, I am unlimited light and love. I am pure positivity. I am this, I am that, I, 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 I. And they're constantly affirming to themselves all of these these, uh, attributes. And these are attributes of the Christ. These are attributes of the Divine Mother. These are attributes of, but only the positive attributes. Right? And unlimited abundance and all this stuff, right? They want to cherry pick out of the Divine Mother and out of the Christ all these things that are desirable to them. These are how they conceptualize and think about, right? And then they use affirmations to affirm all of this upon them. And this is what they call faith. This is the source of their faith. It's all mystic pride and it's all desire. It's all ego. Whereas true faith is affirmed through experience. And yeah, lots of times that experience is mundane. It's boring. It's humble. It's subtle. And sometimes it's painful as all get out. Sometimes it's painful as hell. But if we recognize that it's what we needed that day, it's what we needed in that moment. Yeah, we needed this. It was painful. It was filled with suffering. But now I can see this adversary. Now I can see this ego better. Now I realize that this is one of the causes of my suffering. And that this is why this repeating cycle keeps going over and over in my life. And my Divine Mother brought forth this circumstance, brought forth this moment, this serendipity, so that I could see that and experience that and feel the suffering of that. And now I can meditate on that, meditate on that ego and meditate on that source of that suffering, the causes of that suffering, possibly even comprehend that ego. All of that was orchestrated for my sake, my benefit, so I can become a little bit more awake I can become a little bit more connected, a little bit more conscious of my higher self, my divine mother, their guidance for me. And I can see a little bit more clearly the path ahead and what I need to do moment to moment as I walk that path. My faith has been affirmed That is a genuine affirmation of true faith. Because you are a witness, you have experience, you have the knowledge, 
you have seen and felt and heard that is affirmation each and every day the breadcrumb on the on the trail that nugget that mana from heaven which we do what with right in the gnostic tradition as in the catholic and all christian traditions right because it goes all the way back to the last supper jesus said this is my body which will be given unto you the host we even call it the host the bread of life the mana from heaven christ's body and what do we do with it we eat it we digest it we take it into our mouth we are what we eat so what we eat becomes us we unite intimately with the christ there is no more profound way to affirm our faith than through intimate union with our immortal beloved and so if our divine mother we've we've and a week ago we were talking about living in the hands of our divine mother we 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 mentioned this we talked about this the whole universe is the body of the divine mother that means everyone and everything is a child of the divine mother as jesus was the child of mary mary is the divine mother and jesus is her child so if we eat the body of jesus and drink the blood of jesus we are having an intimate union with the child of the goddess the child of god that's the son of god the christ and union with christ union with the logos is the goal to birth that to awaken that inside of ourselves and that's how we we affirm our faith through spiritual nutrition through metaphysical esoteric conscious transformation of impressions conscious realization and recognition and communion with god in our lives in these in those moments moment by moment that is what a genuine affirmation is it's the affirmation the shoring up the feeding of gnosis of self-evident experiential knowledge faith grows stronger the more it is exercised and the more we consume that which is nutrition that which feeds and strengthens us and that's why physical activity and 
is a, is a is an excellent metaphor. You go out and you 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 you, you exercise, you build, you, you know, you lift weights, or you do yoga, or you you go hiking or running or whatever it is that you do, but you're doing that to exercise the body. But it's not enough just to exercise the body. You also have to have the correct nutrition. You have to feed your body. You have to provide it what it needs in order to build those muscles. In order for it to be able to perform and be strong and be agile and be flexible. In the same way, our faith is the same. Our faith must be tested. A law, for example, many people will, uh, in the legal system, will tell you this, that a law can be drafted, but a law really isn't established until it is tested in a court. So politicians on, uh, can write XYZ law, but then the minute someone breaks it and goes to court, they can challenge the constitutionality of that law. And that law is then tested in a courtroom. And it is not only tested, but it is contested. And the conviction can then be appealed. And appealed and appealed and appealed to a higher court and a higher court and a higher court until eventually the law ends up in the Supreme Court. And there is what's known as the final contest or the final contention. And there the law is finally tested to see if it's actually constitution. In fact, if it's a valid law according to the constitution of the nation. And many legal experts will tell you that a law isn't worth the paper that it's written on until it has gone through this process of contention. So you can make a vow. It's very easy, right? It's very easy for us to be in a crisis, to find ourselves in a crisis situation and pray to God. Oh, help me, help me. Oh, if you help me get through this, I promise I'll never do this again and I'll never do that again and I'll never, you know. Happens all the time. You know, people do this all the time. People do this. If you just help me get over this and I'll I promise and, you know. And then what? Their prayers are answered, their wishes granted, and then a few days later, it's like nothing ever happened. Their vow, their promise, ah, wasn't worth the breath that it was spoken with. It was made under duress. It was made, it's almost as if, you know, it's it's like, it's like uh, those, uh, what do you call it? Those confessions that are given under torture. Those confessions aren't worth anything. Who who wouldn't say whatever, you know, was expected of them if they were being waterboarded or electrocuted or having bamboo stuck under their fingernails? Like, like of course, when someone's in that situation, 
it's not surprising that people will say just about anything just to have the, the suffering stop. Now, we don't want to get off into a tangent about torture, but but you see where we're heading here. So, if we make such a promise, if we make such a covenant, we will be tested. And our innermost and our Divine Mother will know how faithful we are, how much true faith we have, whether or not we pass those tests, whether our convictions are, are solid and grounded, or whether we were just under duress and saying whatever came to us to try to get us out of that crisis, and now it's back to business as usual. Cat says, faith itself is the belief in something unknown and unseen. One can say knowledge is necessary, but what about those who have limited understanding of things? No one has to be intelligent to love God. Yeah, but that's not faith. That's not true faith. It's not. You can love, you can love God. You can love, you can believe all you want, but that's not faith. That's what faith has been degenerated into. That's the whole point of tonight's live stream. Is that is not faith. That's belief. And belief is not faith. It's not. If you know in your heart of hearts, and that knowing is what you're referring to, that that's faith. But there's a difference between knowing and believing. There's an absolute difference. And unless you know the difference, unless you feel the difference, you can't really be spiritual. You can't. You have to be, you have to know the, you have to know where you stand. If you're standing in ego and your feet are, are, are on sand and all you have is belief, you're not spiritual. You're in your ego and you're standing in belief. And your ego is feeding you all kinds of beliefs and rationalizations that, yeah, yeah, I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual. I believe in God and I believe in this and I believe in that. And of course, I believe in the unseen and the unknown and I believe in it. Okay, fine. So what? What does that make you? Make Nothing. Zero. Nothing. You're not grounded in reality. You're grounded in fantasy. Because beliefs are fantasy. They don't exist. But if you know in your heart just one thing, and it's the only thing you know, nothing, you might not know anything else. Just I know that I'm not alone in the universe. I know that there's a higher power, a higher force. Call it God, call it source, call it the universe. 
call it whatever you want. Doesn't matter what you call it. I don't know what they're called. I don't know its name. But I know that this body and this mind is not who I really am. I know that. I don't believe that. I know it. I know it like I know it like I know it. I'm willing to die on that hill. I'm willing to put my life on the line knowing that when I die, that's not the end. I will continue in some form, not this body, not this personality, but that higher power is going to see to it that that part of me that matters, that is my true self, will continue on. If that's all you know, you have a solid footing from when, from whence to begin the work. But if all you have is your beliefs and all you have are your, 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 uh, uh, what you've been taught and what you've been conditioned, et cetera, et cetera, you're not spiritual. You're lost. Because there's faith and then there's belief. Now, in our video that we made about belief, the egos do something very, very, very clever and very subtle. And this is something that many, many, many people are completely ignorant of. They have no idea that the ego has the ability to, to do this. The ability to take our doubt and turn doubts into beliefs. Now, what is doubt? Doubt is not knowing, right? When you know you don't know. Doubt is when you know you don't know something and you, you have doubts. Well, guess what? Your doubts come from your innermost being. Let me say that again. What you know you don't know, right? What you know you don't know. What is it in us that knows? Our innermost knows. Our higher self knows. Our higher self has knowledge, gnosis. And it knows what it doesn't know. So when you have strong feelings of what you don't know, that, feelings, that feeling of I know nothing is a truth. It's knowledge which is coming from your innermost. But here's the problem. The ego comes along and says, that, that not knowing, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't like not knowing. So I'm going to weave a whole series, a whole tapestry of beliefs around that doubt, around that feeling of not knowing. I'm going to weave in a whole elaborate story, a whole elaborate myth, uh, mythology, or a whole elaborate um, uh, uh, superstition around that. And I'm going to get you to believe it in it literally and superficially and dogmatically. And because at the heart and core of that elaborate tapestry of belief is a kernel of doubt, you now become a fanatical, dogmatic 
believer in the tapestry. This is how atheism works. This is how flat earth theory works. This is how all those people in who all those people who believe in flat earth are so absolutely convinced that they know that the earth is flat. Why are they so absolutely convinced? Simply because they have doubts that the that the world is round. They haven't experienced the round earth. They haven't awoken in the astral plane and, and gone and flown around the globe. So they haven't experienced that for themselves. They haven't seen the earth from space. They haven't experienced it as a sphere. So because they haven't, they do they because they do not have that experience, they have the doubt that it is that way. And because they have the doubt that it is that way, the flat earthers pounce on that doubt and give this whole big elaborate explanation and rationalizations as to why the earth is flat. And at the core of all those rationalizations and explanations is this doubt. And the doubt is an absolute truth because they cannot deny their doubt. Their doubt is real. Their doubt is true. They can put their faith in doubt, in their doubt. But the clever ego now builds on that doubt, this whole elaborate theory of flat earth and, and hypnotizes the consciousness. So what they should be able to put their absolute faith in, their true faith in their doubt now gets applied to flat earth theory. This is why atheists are so fanatical and dogmatic in their beliefs, in atheism. They absolutely know that there is no God and that all religions are bunk. Why? Because they have their doubts. And they put their faith in their doubt. So, beliefs and egos and false faith um, can very much be related to and grafted onto and take advantage of things like doubt and are not knowing. But if you trust and that trust is based on absolute knowing, then that's faith. But we have to be careful, right? We have to observe. We have to know the difference between what is true faith and what is just belief. And what beliefs and what belief systems and what ideas and concepts, etc., might be grafted on top of doubt and grafted on top of some other knowing. So again, this is very often something that you will come across in individuals in the new age where they have a spiritual experience. Now they can't deny their spiritual experience. They've had a religious experience, a spiritual experience. What's the first thing that happens? They believe they're enlightened. They believe they're awakened because they had a spiritual experience. It was a profound, deep 
spiritual whatever. They can't deny it. It was their experience, right? They can testify. They're witnesses of it. But as soon as they have it, the mind comes along, the ego comes along, mystic pride comes along and begins weaving elaborate stories and beliefs around that experience, embellishing it, fleshing it out. I must be this, I must be that. People have begin having dreams or lucid dreams or powerful dreams and memories, and then they awaken and they think, oh, I am the reincarnation of so-and-so. I used to be Joan of Arc, or I was this saint, or I was St. Francis of Assisi, or I was this, or I was that, or about, you know. Well, maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But of the 7 billion people on the planet, the likelihood that they were Joan of Arc is very unlikely. Especially considering that Joan of Arc is a resurrected master. And we cannot underestimate and we must not underestimate how when we are on the path of true faith and we are pledged to be faithful to the facts, to objective reality, and to our innermost being, that the temptations and the attacks and the subtle manipulations and the way in which our own egos are going to try to hypnotize us and pull us off that path. Even as they're convincing us that, that this is our path. But they're subtle, they're going to be trying to subtly veer us off in this direction or that direction while maintaining the illusion that we are still on the path. This is perhaps one of the greatest threats to all who are seeking and walking the path of true faith. Because once the egos realize that they cannot get you to break your conviction, that they cannot get you to cheat on your innermost knowingly and willingly, that they cannot get you to be unfaithful wittingly. That's when they begin to shift into a much more subtle and crafty and insidious modus operandi when they're going to get us to fall into, again, a sort of slow, gradual diversion 
And many, many, many people fall into this trap where, for example, they, they, they're on their path, they're doing what they're doing, and then all of a sudden they get visited by some entity in the astral plane. And that entity says, you so-and-so, I have chosen, I am the archangel such-and-such, and I have chosen you to be my messenger, and you will be my channel, and I will channel my message through you, and you will be my so-and-so, you know? And then they go, oh, and they become so enamored and so overwhelmed and so uh, hypnotized and fascinated by the whole experience that they accept. Meanwhile, that entity that was approaching was not, was no archangel, is a, a demon. There are countless New Age books and countless material floating around on the internet that was all channeled. And there are literally millions of people reading that material, believing that material, and following that material believing that that's some sort of true testimony, true true scripture, true true expression of the logos. And a lot of it is filled with truth. But as we've expressed in the past, you know, 90% truth can kill. All they have to do is leave out 10-15%. So 85% of what you what you get on that uh, get in those uh, channeled material is and it speaks to your heart and it resonates and oh my god and this is this is the real thing because it resonates and it resonates and it resonates yeah but they left out the 15 key the 15% that's the key without which the 85% becomes completely black magic So when it comes to faith and having true faith, we cannot afford to be naive. We have to recognize that the Black Lodge, our adversaries, fear and despise true faith more than anything. And their divinely ordained purpose is to test and challenge and thwart and oppose and get all those on the path of true faith to fall from the path or to veer off the path or to convince them that their path of true faith is now going this way and to keep them believing that they're still on the path of true faith. Just to keep feeding them experiences and keep keep uh, uh, duping them. And the antidote to all of that is the path of true faith itself. To know the difference, to observe yourself, and to know when your knowledge is pure, when your experience is pure and objective knowledge and where it's coming from, and when ideas and beliefs and opinions and 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 fantasies are being layered on top of that faith so that we don't get we don't fall into the trap 
of identifying with the mind's elaborations because it's very, very tempting and it's very, very subtle and dangerous. It's like we are drawn through gravity to the center core, which is like this, this, this heart of this mass of truth. But then if the mind puts this elaborate coding on it, now all of a sudden we're still drawn to the truth at its center, but now it's, it's changed, right? So we're drawn now to this, this superficial thing instead of the core beneath it. And again, this is why, why what we are doing here is esoteric, not exoteric. We must always be able to strip away the surface and strip away the, superfi the superficial, the external, the exoteric, and get back down to the core esoteric. And that core truth, the foundation, the source of our faith is in here. It's always here. And why genuine spirituality is about stripping away. It's about psychological death. It's about stripping away the layers of egos and the layers of the false self. It's about eliminating. And the more we eliminate, the more we get into the pure essence, the core, without the elaborations, without the, the narrations and the stories and the rationalizations and the identifications and the attachments and everything else. That's true faith, and the path to true faith. So the sooner we get to touch and to feel and to taste that core inside of ourselves, and the sooner we practice each and every day finding that breadcrumb, that humble, momentary piece of Christ's body, that host, and we recognize it as mana from heaven. And the, 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 the sooner we do that, and the sooner we practice that, And the sooner we recognize the, the mundane and the down-to-earth and the sooner we adopt an attitude of radical humility and surrender, we will develop in a way where we have not immunity, but because we are not looking for the grandiose and because we are not searching for the exciting and we are not tempted by the, the resplendence and, you know, we, and we're not looking to be like all those new agers on Facebook and whatever with their followers and they're this and they're that and they have 
They say, you know, they have their name on Facebook and then they have this description of who and what they are. And it's light worker and star seed and this and that and healer. And, and they, they have like literally like, like a paragraph of spiritual nomenclature and all of these titles that they've given themselves because they want to see themselves that way. Right? Like, I am nothing. I am a humble vessel and a servant and a messenger. That's it. That's it. Am I a healer? No. Am I a starseed? No. Am I a rainbow unicorn, light bright? No. Am I a Reiki master? No. Am I a counselor? No. Am I a teacher? No. No, 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 no. I am nothing, nothing, anything of value that comes through me is just that. It's coming through me. And that's it. Period. Do I want followers? No. Do I want accolades? No. Do I want to fulfill my covenant with Atlas? Yes. And do we, together as one, long to fulfill our destiny and incarnate Alux, the Logos, all light and God light? Yes. But that's, but we're no, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we won't get there ever if what we worry about is making sure that people know that we're a star seed and a light worker and a healer and that and that we charge for for counseling and you know for I mean the very idea that somebody calls themselves spiritual and then but charges people by the hour to listen to them. Or to advise them. And so this is not spiritual. The logos has no need for anybody's money to listen to their problems, to hear their prayers, and to receive its guidance. So we can't afford to be naive. And how faith has been degenerated and twisted and corrupted and it is continually being done here and now by all manner of so-called spiritual, so-called enlightened, awakened star seeds and all the rest of it. But true faith is a covenant, is a, is a promise. It's a sacred bond, the ties that bind like marriage and just as marriage is between a man and a woman and nobody else and nobody else's business right a husband and wife what they talk about next to each other in bed on the pillow it's nobody's business and the agreements that they make with one another in sacred union 
that covenant that they have with one another, nobody's business. Just as your union and your covenant, sacred covenant with your immortal beloved is nobody's business. But it's your business. In fact, it's the only business that we should be in. Because we are nothing more than a vessel and a vehicle, a servant, a messenger. And a servant's business, a servant's vocation is to serve their Lord, the Lord and Lady of the manor, the Lord and Lady of the household. And the Lord and Lady of the household well, they serve the King of Kings, the Cosmic Christ. And to be a servant of the Lord, well, that is a worthwhile vocation. But that covenant is between the servant and their Lord. It's not between you and anybody else. So having faith and being on the path of true faith means that sometimes we may find ourselves having to be defenders of the faith defenders of that covenant defenders of that faith like desmond doss had to defend his covenant that he made with god and he had to face even a court-martial and he had to face death itself he had to face all manner of hardship and, and the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. But the strength and the tr of that faith, the trust which flows from that of true faith, and the, it gives us the courage of our conviction, right? To do that, to do just that, to be defenders of our faith and, and uphold our courage, uh, uphold our conviction, and to have the courage of our conviction in spite of the odds, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the consequences. And all of this flows from inside the source of our strength. Because remember, it is a two-way street. And if we are untrustworthy, we will not be trusted with the truth and the power and the strength. If we're getting in the way and we're using that power, we're using that strength, we're using that force, we're using that truth to be unfaithful, where you were giving that power to our egos, we're giving that, we're using that knowledge for our desires. For example, we're manifesting our, we're manifesting our desires with it. We're manifesting the perfect partner to fornicate with. Well, guess what? That power, that strength is going to be revoked our innermost being and our Divine Mother is not going to trust us anymore. 
with that strength and that power. We will have the, we will have broken the covenant. We will be unfaithful. So know yourself, observe yourself, moment to moment. Live and walk the path of true faith. It's, it's here and now. It's, it's within your grasp and it's within you. It's not out there. The evidence of it might be out there. Because as within, so without. So when you observe your life and the serendipities and the things that happen, right? Of course. But the covenant that you make and the source of all of that, your Divine Mother who's orchestrating all of that around you. Right? Go within, know yourself. One eye in, one eye out. Find the serendipities. Take the breadcrumbs and make that covenant make that pledge make your vows to your higher self and your divine mother all the days of your life till death do you part and watch and see the path of your destiny roll out before your own, before your eyes And the path of true faith will be yours and you will be and stay faithful to it and peace and happiness and joy and a fulfillment that you you could not have imagined will be yours because you will be on purpose you will be fulfilling your destiny does anyone have any questions or comments before we wrap it up we have an early morning tomorrow, so we will have to wrap it up in a few minutes, but we want to give anyone and everyone an opportunity to uh, chime in or share something. Have we put you all to sleep? <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> All right, then. If no one has any comments, then thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you again soon. Um, well, we'll give it a few more seconds here. Okay, thank you all for uh, joining us. Um, we hope to see you again soon. We don't have a topic yet for Friday. Hopefully, we'll we'll get some inspiration for that tomorrow, and then tomorrow evening we'll we'll throw up uh, 
we'll throw up what the topic is for Friday. So thank you again, one and all, for joining us, and have a wonderful evening. Good night.